You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. Hey, everybody, and, and welcome now, to another awesome episode your host, of Crowdfunding Andrew Nerds. I am your Lowen. host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and not Rick this week. Instead of Rick, who is um, uh, still recovering, he has no voice right now uh, from his sickness, we have, in his place, someone uh, far more awesome her name is Dina Ramsa of Dina Said So Studio. Let us start with kind of what we, you know, what the purpose of the podcast is. So you do crowdfunding and we do crowdfunding. And so in, in, in essence, some in some respects, you're a competitor of ours. However, there are so many crowdfunding campaigns that <laughs> I cannot handle all of them. And I, we just, you know, it's just, uh, it feels like people that do this well, are a very small minority of of this crowdfunding world. And so I'm actually very, very excited to get to just hear some of your expertise and some of your firsthand knowledge and uh, and and share that with our listeners. So this it really the point of this podcast is just to hear from another expert in the crowdfunding industry as as a marketer. And um, so I'd love maybe before we uh, get into it, I, I I'd love to hear, you know, who you are, how, how you got into marketing and, you know, some of your experience so that people listening can have context for what it is that you say as an expert. Yeah, sure. Uh, also, like, we're not just competitors. We're also working on campaigns together, which yeah. I've been really loving. So there's sometimes that there you take over parts that I just don't want to touch. Yep. Because, <laughs> I mean, we all have different expertise. We just added an ads manager last year. Uh, so up until that point, you know, you, you were doing all of the ads for most of our campaigns anyway. So that's awesome. <clears throat> wow. I had no idea. I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> all we are is just an ad sweatshop. That's, we just like shred the ads and then. Yeah, um... but we're, we don't need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so but yeah, scandalous. so let's, uh, let's hear from like, you know, how'd you get into this and, you know, where'd your marketing background come from? Yeah, okay. So when I was little, I wasn't really uh, um, in contact with games at all. I grew up in a very sort of sheltered lifestyle uh, and we didn't really do games. That wasn't one of the things. So obviously this was the thing that I really were curious about. I wanted to know all about the games. So when I was 14, I got emancipated and I basically jumped into the scene with both feet. And I worked in an organization for 10 years that runs all of the major conventions in Norway. And that was basically the start of me doing marketing as well. So I was 14. <laughs> and ever since then, I just never really stopped doing marketing in games for conventions and for um, cafe gaming cafes. And I helped game designers who were just needing to promote their games. I went traveling with a lot of the Norwegian-style role-playing games on conventions all around the UK a couple of years, and uh, it got me a job in like working with games for like uh, Electronic Arts, and I worked for King Games. I helped them writing some of the text for Candy Crush in like the marketing oh. language that they're using, like have a candy delicious day, uh, which was great. But you know that's gonna haunt me forever, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you'll never, you'll never leave that one down. <laughs> the only thing worse would have been Flappy Bird, probably. <laughs> probably, right. So when I had a kid and I was going back into work, 
I really wanted to keep working with, you know, the things that I'm most passionate about and the ones that I have the most expertise in being, you know, games. So I worked with video games and, and helped out like app developers for a while. And basically there I decided to start on my own because I saw that there was a space in the industry that wasn't completely filled with someone who had sort of just not just marketing expertise, but also social media expertise, which I've been working mm -hmm. for a long time. I have seven years as being a nail polish influencer, got shortlisted as one of the top 50 in the world a couple of years Me in too. a row. So, <laughs> so, <you're> not... <laughs> so I was used to writing stuff for other people and collaborating with indies and kind of helping them out with their marketing there as well. And I figured like, when a friend of mine was going to launch his game, we started looking for people who could help. And we really came up short in terms of like, who could do everything. So like your social media and maybe helping out with ads and just kind of guide people through the whole process of doing crowdfunding. There wasn't a lot of people in that space. And I was like, this is perfect. Really? Like this is, this is like my calling. So I started a company. It was just me and my graphic designer in the beginning. He's wonderful. He's been with us from the start. He came straight out of school. He is extremely well at what he does. I will just be like, we need something like this. And he'll spew out something that is perfect. He just <laughs> understands awesome. the way I communicate, which is important when it comes to marketing, obviously. So we started out with our first client, um, Green Meadow Games. It was our first actual client. Before that, I spent a whole year just helping and assisting and consulting on as many campaigns that I could for free. Because I wanted to make sure that what I came with when I was starting a business would be something that would carry merits. It would be something that people knew were worth it. And the best way to do that is ensuring that people know who you are. So mm -hmm. I put a lot of effort into it and uh, shared as much as I could and learned as much as I could from other campaigns that people that I got to know were launching and doing. So yeah. that was fantastic. It was a great learning experience and a lot of effort put into it. Yeah, here we are That's four fantastic. years later, 5 million raised for 150 <laughs> campaigns. So. Uh, one thing that you that you said about that story and how you got into the industry that I think is not to be understated because there are a lot of people that are listening to this that may be working part time um, and and then you know part time on their dream which is going to be crowdfunded and at the same time is alongside a full time job that is their you know their livelihood and you know myself included like I have this game that I made Deliverance and it made half a million dollars all all together so far. Uh, but it's still like, I basically turned a very expensive hobby into something that like broke even. And I, I kind of maintain the ability to continue making stuff, but I haven't really made any money. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that like, Hey, maybe we make a million or two or $3 million. And I actually make something. Maybe I'll, I'll add on to my house at that point or something. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I, I haven't been that. I haven't gotten that far yet, but <laughs> The, the full, you know, our, my agency is like my full-time job. And so in, in a way, even though you and I and, and Sean, like we kind of get to all like bleed the lines because we work in an industry that we really love. There are a lot of people that are working part-time that, you know, on the dream and they are trying to kind of get into the industry and find a way to break in to do more mm. of what they love with their full-time, you know, the full-time job. And you mentioned something that was, that you volunteered for a whole year. I mean, I that's, yeah. <laughs> that is a very, I mean, I, we, I actually got into the industry as well by volunteering my services to a couple of friends. And I think that 
when it worked, they were very excited. It turns out game designers travel in packs and I received communications asking me for help and, uh, you know, from others that they told and, um, you know, the rest is, is kind of history and that's how I got in. So in a way I feel like it, uh, kindred spirits that were very, it was a very similar path into the industry. And do you think that that's a very common do you see a lot of people trying to volunteer their time? Some, I have definitely seen people who start out that way where they do volunteer, but they are not really dedicated to do it for long enough, but they think that they can get away with it only doing like three months and be like, yeah, that should be enough. That should do it. And then kind of launching their, their thing. And instead of really focusing on doing like a little bit of a community building and networking. Mm -hmm. And I'd yeah. like for people to show that they are there to stay before they do these things because then where it's it really shows how like how dedicated they are to help and mm -hmm. how well versus obviously how much they just want to get money yeah yes because mm. yes know, you could technically get built the rich but how many toes do you step on and how many <laughs> people do you upset during that time because then right. you're going to do all the fails with your clients and i wouldn't really want to do that i wouldn't want to be that person Right. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, uh, you know, for me, I, I when I got into the industry, I had a lot of experience designing my own project. And it's kind of a very lonely road when you're designing a game. Sean's also designed games before. But, uh, you know, like the math and the, you know, all of the details of your game and they're all inside your head. And when you try to talk for me, I talk to my wife and it's it's hard for her to be as engaged about the or she'll give feedback. And it's like, I, she just doesn't understand the other three things or whatever, <laughs> you know, that, that go into why the number is two and not five. I, you know, it's just kind of a lonely road. Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've done game design too. Like we have four games now in, in development currently. I've uh, done six role playing games previously. I even got um, the, um, the King Killer Chronicles. I got the rights for that one when it was just new. You know, like when the first book came out by Patrick Rothfuss, which I was super excited about. We were going to do like this big game. And then I moved to the UK and my hard drive got burned during the trip. Oh. And I was super sad. It's like 800 pages something. And I just didn't oh, have goodness. the energy or oh, time wow. to just sit down and write everything again. So, oh, man. Wow, that's so a bummer. I think that's a reminder <laughs> to, to back things up or put something on the cloud. Or, yeah, that's, that's absolutely. Dropbox has been my friend. Um, you know, a lot of people use Google Drive, Dropbox nowadays, of course. But, um, you know, they I, I remember back before they got really popular, I used something called Carbonite, which is like a backup. You know, it'll back up your computer every day to the cloud. And it basically forms a closed copy of your computer, uh, mm. you know, hard drive on, on the cloud that you can reload. And, you know, thankfully, I never had to use it because I barely understood how it worked. It's like, you know, if my computer explodes and then my Carbonite has like the only, you know, only one folder, like the photos folder or something, it's like, I am playing a dangerous game right now. Because I, and well, all of us are game designers. We, we understand the uh, pain of what, what other, what our clients are going through, really. And I find that that makes me want, you know, among other things, uh, my heart bleeds for my clients. I want them to be successful. And if, if they, um, encounter challenges on the road to success, like, I feel like I personally am being challenged and it, it hurts me 
when, you know, or if, if we can't give our very best to something, I just, I can't like, I can't live with myself if I was working with someone else that didn't give their very best to me it, for my dream. Like the thing that I really wanted to see come into the world, then, you know, I just don't think that that's a partner worth working, you know, worth uh, working with. If somebody's just like, oh, you're a number to me, then I just, um, if I feel like that working with an agency, then I just don't think that agency is a good partner for me. I think that we as agency people need to care about our clients as if they were our own projects, you know? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to taking on projects that, you know, you're confident can actually succeed. I think that's part of it because, yeah, I think that that age, aged old idiom is correct. Do you want to others as you want done to you? And if you want to be treated with respect, if you want to be treated as a human, then you should extend that to others. And I think it even comes with promoting games, right? If you want people to promote your project or your games, well, you need to invest some time into other people's projects and other people's games. So I think it's just trying to think mm-hmm. outwardly in, in some sense. It's super important when it comes to marketing in general, whether it's managing accounts, but also any type of organic stuff. So, but it has to be genuine. You can't be like, this is great. And then hoping that they say that about your game. <laughs> First post. First yeah. post, my Kickstarter. This is great. Um, Look at my stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Dina, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into Dina Said So Studio because, um, you know, as as a marketing agency, us at, we, we at Crowdfunding Nerds do, you know, ads, email marketing, landing page design, and for non-board game clients or for you know long-term clients, we'll do organic SEO on Google. And those are the four services that we offer. And we really don't do anything else. And you mentioned that the first thing, the first person that you brought on board uh, to your studio was a graphic designer. And so I'd love to learn more about like the services that you offer within your studio just so that our audience can have a better understanding of that. So we're working towards being pretty much like a one-stop shop. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. Currently, what we are able to offer is, you know, for our clients, we do web design because I used to work with that. So obviously that has to be a thing. Obviously marketing, social media, we do organic SEO as well. And in regard to social media, do you do, you do like uh, posting on pages and in groups and kind of engaging groups and stuff too? Yes. We also film TikToks and Reels, and we have a videographer in our team. So we sometimes also do 2D videos or live action videos for our clients, be it for Kickstarter or for social media purposes. We also do streaming for some of our clients um, so that, you know, it's good to be on Twitch sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, we have an ads manager, so obviously ads is a part of this. And we fully design your Kickstarter page from like all the texts and and everything, probably a whole bunch of the things that I keep forgetting. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I, um, I say we, we really, we, my agency, we have four core competencies and yet I've done like direct mail ads. I've done movie theater advertising and other crazy things like that. When people ask me to do something, sometimes it's like, I, if they have no one else, it's like, well, you know, I guess I'll find a way to get it done because I don't <laughs> like to be the person that, you know, like if somebody says, Hey, will you design my Kickstarter page? It's like, no, but I have resources and people I can refer you to that will, you know, yourself included. And then I just, I just don't like to say, Oh no, sorry. We don't like videography. It's like, Oh, I don't do that. I'm always like, actually, you could talk to David Diaz or Ori Kagan or, you know, several people. I love Mm. to be a referral source so that 
you know, to be as helpful as I can, I guess. Oh, absolutely. You know? We basically say that if you want a video done by us, it has to be for a game that has a smaller scope. It can't be like anything more than a 25K kind of campaign uh, because that's the videos that we will produce right now uh, because it, it takes so much time and we can't really... Uh, Put away, like we only have two graphic designers. We can't really have one of the graphic designers who is also a videographer. We can't have him spend too much time away from other projects because you know, obviously he's needed. We we hired him for a reason. Um, so we will only do 2D. We don't do dive into 3D. So for those who want that, I always refer them first to Kagan because obviously he is a client. That must yeah. be said. Uh, <laughs> so obviously we have a deal going on with him where we basically get to ask for still pictures from the video while he's still working on it. We get to see the environment and we help him. We play test with him. If the client can't do it, you know, we make sure that he knows the game through and through in order for him to make the best kind of video. So we have, you know, daily contact with Kagan. That's Wonderful awesome. guy. Absolutely lovely. And we've been working with him now closely for the past two years. Fantastic. So you actually mentioned that you were um, a social media influencer and I'm, I'm very interested in this just to kind of dive a little deeper into that because I feel like that's, um, it's a difficult thing. Everybody's always wanting to know how do you rank organically? How do you, I mean, everything is organic, right? You know, you want to pay for ads. That's one thing, but you, you can't pay to go viral on TikTok and get 5 million views on a video. Right. Very uh, in 24 hours. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're Bill Gates, you can. So I'd love to, I'd love to learn more about that and just get your, your advice in, you know, what, what, what advice would you give to a creator that wants to do organic stuff? Let's say if they um, weren't able to hire you for, for those things, but you were to give them advice so that they could be successful. Where, where would you start? Uh, yeah, we do a lot of consulting for some of our clients. So I guess that's a good fit. Um, so what we usually do is that we look at what are their skills, like what are their strengths as a person? Because everyone comes with their own set of like goodie bags. Mm -hmm. uh, we just need to find out what it is and how they best communicate because all the different platforms is going to cater to different people. For some clients, that's going to be, you know, TikTok is the way to go. Uh, like we were working with... Uh, Rainbow Bunny Bob, oh, she's great on TikTok. Uh, but in the beginning, she was really sort of a scared, but the platform didn't know quite what to do. And it was really just pushing and encouraging and teaching her about the platform for her to just leap off and do great stuff on her own. She didn't need anyone to kind of constantly be there and be like, hey, this is, we want you to film this and this and this. She just sort of just had to get that learning experience and start. You know, we lowered the threshold for her to participate and that's all she needed. Just figure out what's the platform for. And then they leap up and they, they don't really need anyone to do it for them. And I think that's really important is like finding the strength of the people, finding the right platform for them to feel comfortable and in a way that they know how to communicate and like teaching them the ropes of like, this is what we do on this platform. There's how hashtags work on Instagram versus TikTok. Sometimes that's all they need just to sort of figure out because it, seem, it can seem really scary and like intimidating in the beginning. It was like, oh yeah, you just need to show up, which... Sure, that used to work, and sometimes it can still work, but uh, it's mm -hmm. a little bit more complicated than that. Say, for example, Instagram, it loves it when you're using all the different versions of ways to communicate on Instagram, like you're doing, there's like groups now on Instagram, you know, there is the shops functions, and you could be a creator, and you can be, you know, you can be as a company, you can be there as an individual, like all those three things is just, 
kind of tells a lot about how they expect you to use the platform. And if you use the platform differently, you know, that's not really going to work. How much reels do you do versus feed posts and slide posts and all those other things? Sometimes they just need to be taught that and they'll figure the rest out themselves. Like, for example, one of my favorite clients in that terms is a crown of ash, Richard, um, who, you know, we were talking, I think it was last year early on. And he was like, what do we do? And I was like, just showing him like, okay, here's this, like talking him through Instagram and the social media platforms. And he's doing great. You know, like he's everywhere talking about his game and showcasing what he's doing. And he's an excellent sort of graphic designer in addition to being a wonderful game designer. His game is absolutely beautiful. Like that color pops with like the the hot pinks and the magenta with the black is just... Like you'll recognize it instantly. And he has a way of talking about his game that is very unique to him that you'd work really hard to try to emulate. So that that um, personality and also you mentioned, you know, find out what your strengths are. Um, so one of the things that I always try to a- advise with our clients, we don't take over their own social media, but we try to teach them to manage it. I have managed social media and I do for my own my own games. We have, you know, several communities that we manage and that kind of thing. But I, I like when the person who is super invested is the one, you know, dealing with it every day is that they're the one that's sharing an update. You know, they can easily just take their phone out, snap a picture of their prototype they're fiddling with and, you know, write something or share whatever their thoughts are at the time. And it's very, you're able to be very uh, spontaneous and also create meaningful posts as you know if you hmm. if you do it that way and i try to i try to do that or i try to teach people um how to or, you know that they that they should take kind of command of their social media and one of the um the reasons for that is because i i find it's difficult to be as passionate about it as the creator you know for me um and then number 2 is um it's to, it's there's like a long learning curve right a, a learning curve and a lot of assets that you need to develop that uh, the creator might be able to do them themselves. Um, but in regard to what you said about what they're comfortable with, what I always say is um, if you use Facebook, continue using Facebook. Like if you love using, if you use Facebook groups and you're on, you know, the, the Dice Tower Facebook group all the time or whatever, then create your own Facebook group and that's your community and involve yourself in other relevant communities invest yourself into whatever board game spotlight or board game revolution community or uh you know places like that because you're used to using the facebook platform and you will have a much easier time a much lower learning curve if you are a boomer and tiktok is the latest thing you might have a hard time you know like acclimating yourself to the platform so is it worthwhile let's say if somebody is very comfortable with facebook and very uncomfortable with everything else. Is it worthwhile to step out of your comfort zone and develop a new, like a new skill and try to make TikTok work for you? Or, you know, like if, if the point of this is to like eventually build an audience for, for a Kickstarter campaign, is that something that's very worthwhile to just kind of trudge through? Very often. Yes. Uh, because I think it comes down to what kind of content and what are they using Facebook to currently. Because very often you can in that find that there are other platforms that could do the same thing that they could also be on without adding in much effort. 
a lot of my clients who are really, you know, love Facebook and use it a lot tend to also do really good on Twitter. But then we have the clients who are really uncomfortable with Facebook who can do great on Instagram or maybe, you know, we can adapt that voice and the kind of content that they're sharing into a Twitter strategy or um, Tusky or Reddit or, you know, whatever else there is out there and make it work for them as well. Because I think if you're narrowing yourself down to just one platform, you're kind of losing some of the audience that primarily uses the other ones. Sometimes what we've done is that we will take the, the the content that they're sharing on Facebook and then adapt it and change or, and supplement with our own content to other platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we see that the audience that we are trying to reach uses different platforms that they're currently using, because it really depends what are they making and what are they selling. Yeah. I think another thing to keep in mind is just depending on what the platform is actually trying to promote that type of content. So sometimes you see that, for instance, we interviewed... Uh, Andrew, your sister, uh, a while ago, and she's a, a Instagram Smashes influencer. It on Instagram. And yeah. she was saying um, that Instagram was really moving away from images and really focusing on reels because they're trying to compete with TikTok, obviously. So it, sometimes a platform will, I, I, you could say, artificially boost certain types of content because they're trying to introduce a new feature and change the culture of the site. We, all, we saw this with Facebook Live um, when they first introduced that. You you, you went live on Facebook and the, everyone got a notification. It was like you, yeah. you, you blow up on Facebook Live and obviously that's now changed. So leveraging, maybe you could say um, exploiting those kind of technological developments in these platforms could be useful as well where oh yeah, Instagram is now starting reels. So I'm going to jump on there and create some reels um, for my TikTok and bring them over there. And uh, hey, I'm, it's just, it might blow up and they might, you could say artificially boost my content because that's the type of stuff they're trying to promote on, on the site. Just right, obviously right, not right now because Instagram is moving away from reels. So yeah. that's like- Yeah, we, we interviewed my sister, so cool I want to say. Yeah, like a year and a half ago, I think. Um, well, I think sometimes they they try and then they can't compete with Mm -hmm. the existing thing that's there. So it's kind of like Facebook Live. That's why it's it's not when you go live, you don't get pinged because they couldn't really compete with Twitch. I know that Microsoft tried their own streaming service, which bombed. And it's just (laughs) Twitch has such a a strong market hold there that it's I think YouTube's done the best in terms of stealing some of the live stream audiences. But, you know, Twitch is obviously the the pillar that isn't really going anywhere anytime soon. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. What you guys were saying reminded me of um, Alex Radcliffe. He runs his Board Game Co. YouTube channel, and he was telling me about that um, YouTube Shorts were a brand new thing when we were talking. And he said, you know, that he's getting into YouTube Shorts, and in addition to his regular video content, he said. But the problem is with YouTube Shorts at the time when we were talking that they don't help your channel organically. They really don't like if if a YouTube Short ranks very well. It's not going to help the main video rank and vice versa. If the main video does really well, the short will not necessarily be benefited. And then we talked a couple of months later and he said, actually shorts changed now. They do have a direct benefit on the YouTube video. And so I'm really a lot more excited about shorts because they're going to make a a, a dramatic difference if I really invest myself and dive in and, and whatnot. And uh, so it, it kind of reminded me of what both of you were saying, you know, where you sometimes have to get used to using something new and you you have to be willing to continually adapt. And if you're not willing to continually adapt, then it sounds like they need to hire you, Dina. So if I want to be a boomer and salty <laughs> and, you know, like I'm in Texas, 
my my guns, my freedom, America, and Facebook's the devil, and so is everything else. I should probably just not try to get used to TikTok. You know, you don't want to see, um, you don't want to see that. But um, but Dina, it sounds like you have the expertise to kind of guide somebody in, so that you can kind of take the the main role and responsibility there, and allow that person to kind of ease their way in, like easing their way into like a lap pool, uh, one yeah. step at a time. I- we do our best, at least, you know, helping clients finding their voices is one of the biggest joys I have in in what I'm doing, just kind of showing them how it's done. And sometimes, you know, it's just me doing it. But through me and the way I'm communicating them, they see themselves sort of reflected that I am able to sort of emulate their what their ideal voice would have been if they knew how to use social and like the kind of content that I would be sharing would be you know they start to understand through seeing me doing it and we talk about it you know we have weekly calls with uh, most of my clients because we want them to be a part of the process because obviously Mm -hmm. through me understanding them better I understand their game designs and how they're approaching things so I can continue to do these things and then you know, we had a, a client last year we'd been working with for several months and we parted ways because they were done with their campaign and they weren't really going to launch anything in quite soon. So they kind of figured it would best to, you know, let me do, do other things and help other people. And they kept up with their socials because we'd been encouraging them to, to try, even though they thought it was really, really scary. But because they'd seen me do it, they were able to just, you know, take up and continue and voice wise it looks like nothing changed mm-hmm. and i just love that for just me and them because you know i was able to to emulate their voice so well to the point that no one noticed when they took back over the control because that's where your, your role-playing skills come in into, into <laughs> hand doesn't it you should adopt different personalities and so that's interesting <laughs> absolutely uh, <laughs> the helps. only personality i do really really well is uh the starship trooper sergeant <laughs> I'm really good at that one. It's my fave. I can also speak like a dwarf. Um, Apparently, I do sassy sort of seventy-year-old uh, women from like US very well. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, and who uh, knew? Always, I didn't know this was a skill I had. I love how kind of we role play in marketing, don't we? Where? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm working on uh, Forge with a Hammer Dog Games and. Uh, obviously they have a lot of the images that they have created with content creators is like actual people who own forges from like the medieval era who is and you're being super macho in the background that i'm doing socials and i'm like <laughs> the closest i could get is probably like a burly lesbian <laughs> who's also into smithing <laughs> like she you can tell you like know? from from the stats as well like we're getting a higher female participation because of the way i am voicing now the product that's kind of fun you know we we have this overall process we talked a little bit about community and we have this process in 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 internally in a crowdfunding nerds next level web we call it the virtuous cycle we it's kind of our base of how we believe you need to kind of it's like the the whole system that warms up that brings in a new person warms them up gets them excited about your product and then you launch and um you know have great success because they were very so excited that they told all their friends and you know this this process is very important, but um, part of the really kind of the cornerstone of the process is I call it the bank uh, banking. So whenever we do any marketing activity, you you have to bank the result of your marketing, or it was not worthwhile. So if you go to UK Games Expo, for example, and you hand out business cards and you hand out all this this stuff, 
but you don't gain anything in return. All that you've done is, I believe, killed a tree or two uh, for no reason because you you know you had to hand out your business card and, and that was it. But if you receive, then if you receive somebody's information like a uh, a, a card of theirs or an email or something else, then what you're doing is you're banking results. And now I know that I'm being quite general with the um, like the handing out of business cards. I think some in some cases, like Sean and I were actually just talking about. Oddly enough, going to UK Games Expo and handing out business cards. In this case, these would have a discount to our marketing course. And so they would be, you know, a, a direct line, like a one, a one-time use code that they could use. And it's like something of value we're giving them. And yeah, we'll also give different. that the plan was also to have a QR code to some of our most popular podcasts, which are mm-hmm. the most helpful to I suppose mm-hmm. funding hopefuls. Yeah. And at that, it, it kind of in that stage, we're, we're really building the brand as well and get in name recognition and, and so on as um, in addition to what we're doing digitally. But um, I find that the, the concept of banking results is the, you know, if you send someone to your landing page and it, it has like a follow me on Kickstarter versus um, an email subscribe, then I feel the email subscribe is much more powerful and the, the most essential thing to bank in, in the virtuous cycle concept that we have here. And then we kind of use that to win the right to communicate across different mediums. And I was wondering, I would love to know more about your process and what, what you consider most valuable to bank as far as the results from the result of your marketing and what you advise clients. And, um, you know, if you had a, any, um, advice that you would share on that front. Yeah, sure. Uh, one of the first things that we make sure is that social accounts are are existing because that that helps. <laughs> um, that they're all linking to the same place. That there's a consistency across in terms of how you're presenting your company and the game that you're going to work on. I think that's really important in terms of you know organic search engine optimization and just being present on platforms. I think that's really important. What we then also do is that we look at like what sort of landing pages do they have currently? Do we need to fix those? Because those are basically like the most critical points I find. Uh, if that landing page is not going to convert, then you know we should you know that's something that you want to touch on as early as possible. You don't want anyone to see that when you start working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always fix that as soon early as possible because I wanted the emails, not really in terms of getting the right to communicate on other social media platform. I think in the beginning they work very independently. They're more or less funneling towards emails than uh, them being there to gather more emails. Like because obviously organically we're going to get followers on on the various platform just because people are curious but i want the higher leads the ones that are actually going to you know back the campaign i want as many people as possible to be opting out as early as possible mm-hmm. so that i know exactly how many to know that is going to actually support the campaign because i think yeah. that's the, in the end is more important than how many people do have on a mailing list it is how good is that mailing list yeah Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I've seen many, in many cases, in fact, I had one client that came to me. Um, it actually ended up working out very positively. Uh, they came to me on day two of their Kickstarter campaign. I own their game. It's right over there. So um, Adam with Adam's Apple games came to me um, on uh, er, with planet unknown. He said that uh, originally the, you know, they built a list of 5,000 emails and they didn't really communicate with those people so that when they sent their um, email blast, they received no, you know, people mm-hmm. didn't know who they were. They actually got flagged by MailChimp and it was a very negative result. Um, 
you know, that they spent a lot of money and didn't, you know, they didn't want anyone to quit and leave their email list. And so they waited until like the most essential time. And it just ended up, um, you know, MailChimp was like, how did you acquire these people? You know, <laughs> nobody liked your email. And so nobody knows who you are. And so um, we got them on day two of their live campaign and they had raised about $30,000 in their first two days. You know, it was, it was just sad um, for them, but they actually ended up turning it around. Rado really liked the game. They ended up raising like $250,000, more than $250,000 by the end of the campaign. They just, it was like a, our marketing, it was like a straight vertical or, you know, vertical line in, um, you know, every day they had made just a bunch more money and they were like, how much money can we spend on marketing? And, you know, after, after that, and uh, it, it was a very interesting case study to me because that was a game that people really, really wanted like a lot. So it was um, a thing that I think people clearly liked and subscribed to the email. I think they use Facebook forms um, to, to generate those email leads and that there was just this disconnect for, you know, that the audience just didn't remember who they were, but mm -hmm. that people really loved the product. And so maybe, you know, in the future that would have, or if they, if they handled it differently, maybe that would have um, changed, you know, even the trajectory of the first two days. Um, so do you have any, any experience where something like you launch a campaign and it maybe didn't go as, as you hoped, um, in the first couple of days and then you were able to maybe turn it around? We've definitely had a couple of campaigns where at the end of it, it's kind of been like the disconnect in terms of like, oh, we were kind of expecting more people to back it there's always been various reasons sometimes it's like the finished product who's like having art that doesn't quite connect with the audience but maybe they're discovering that the game is heavier than they thought sometimes it's lighter than they thought obviously there's all these variables obviously that that comes down to how are you communicating your game that would have that that could have been missed uh, which is obviously really sad when we do have those cases. Luckily, we don't have too many of those. Like in those 150, I think we have maybe like eight that mm -hmm. didn't quite make it for various reasons. Um, so I always try to like break it down, like what exactly happened. And we try to have sort of pit stops during our collaborations with clients where we go and we check is you know is there any indications here that the art isn't working is there any indications here that the the people who are seeing the game and and are interested in the game but there is any reason for concern that it's not going to convert on on when we launch that's a great i think it's point. really important for us to have those pit stops i think it's one of the things that kind of makes marketing worth it is that they're also aware that we will do those we will stop and we will review what happened so far and is it in the line with what our expectations have been so far definitely i think that marketing it it seems like it's always a moving target right where you know the, the you do the you do these things and it works exceedingly well for one campaign and then you do the exact same methodology and you find that you're running into barriers that did, you didn't have with the first campaign. Every campaign, it just seems, has its own unique set of challenges. And while mm -hmm. I think maybe 80 or 85% of every campaign you could say is the same, everyone needs a landing page, everyone needs to build an email list, so on and so forth, um, that last 15 or 20% makes all the difference, doesn't it? <laughs> 
you know, it and really does move and change yeah. <laughs> and pivot. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes we just find that they need more exposure in terms of actual play because the game maybe plays really well once you get into it, but maybe it does require a little bit of like, you know, here is the game, let's put it in front of you and kind of force that interaction a little for them to really see it. We, we had campaigns where, you know, all we did was play test. We just play tested our way through the entire campaign. We didn't focus as much as social. We didn't focus as much at, you know, pushing anything beyond getting emails and play testing. And for, for that camp particular campaign, that was the way to go because people kind of had to experience it to see the true value of what the game could, you know, do for them at their own gaming tables. We've also had other games where it's like, of course, everyone is going to love this because, you know, it does this and this. And that's all you need, where you just have to present that it does this. And everyone is like, oh, yes, let's have it. Um, which is really cool because obviously like every single game is unique. Every combination and setup of teams are unique. Even if, you know, my team stays the same and it's very consistent with the six people that I have working constantly plus, you know, our intern. Um, I know what we produce uh, and, you know, what we can do. But for each of the clients, everything is looking a little bit different. So we have what we call the road to marketing. Uh -huh. uh, which is like a massive Trello board that I spent two years on creating, which basically maps out every single task that we need to touch on for that is common for all the campaigns. And then it has some of the optional tasks that if you have time and energy, this is the things that I would like the client to do or us to do uh, so that everything happens when it's supposed to. So that That's awesome. when we're launching, nothing has gone amiss. We are yep. prepared. You know, we have the updates ready. They know when they should pushing out updates. So we're not sort of scrambling at any point. Now, I have a question kind of related to, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit related to the negative, but we try to have our clients understand that there are multiple things that can happen when you hit launch. You know, you have all of the, you know, for me as with Deliverance, I remember going through and saying, okay, it's launch time. I'm so scared at, you know, after I hit this button, I don't know what will happen. And if I only knew that we would raise $141,000 in eight hours, I would be like so confident, but, uh, but you just can't know. Right. And um, so what I, what we always try to do with all of our clients is even if the signs are, are great and you have a 55% open rate in your emails and you know, your social communities are quite active and, and that sort of thing. It's possible that your campaign will, we call it the four and a half possible outcomes. You know, you've got like absolute failure where something didn't connect and maybe your audience was like, okay, it's a, it's a light, uh, guess the word game. And it's a $150 pledge base game. Uh, you know, that's going to be like, okay, <laughs> you had a lot of, you know, engagement going in, but then the offer wasn't consistent. And so you might not make, you might not do very well. So it's, mm. you, you're, you're absolutely going to fail. There's no recovering the campaign. Then there's another option. That's like, you're likely to fail, but if you, if you hustled, then you could succeed. And then there's the, you're, you're going to succeed, but it's, it's maybe a humble success. Maybe you fund after like seven to 10 days and you've got another couple of weeks in your campaign. Um, so you might fund 110 to 150% or whatever. Then there's great success where you fund three to 500%. And then there's what I call catastrophic success, which is beyond you. You know, this, this like Gandalf with the Balrog, this enemy is beyond any of you. It's like this level of funding is beyond you. You're going to mess up. You made, you know, if deliverance made $10 million and pulled a frost Haven, 
then I, I'm sure that the economies of scale that I haven't factored in like logistics or something like that, I might be able to lose a little bit of money. But if that $2,000 loss is a $200,000 loss, then I can't recover it. So, you know, there's, there's the, the catastrophic is actually a negative result. And so how do you train your people to, you know, what, for what happens, no matter, no matter what it is, how do you train them for what happens on launch day? Yeah, we talk about launch a lot (laughs) and like what to expect and what is happening. We go through the multiple different scenarios of what can happen and what their sort of response would have been. So before we even hit launch, I know how my clients are going to respond to if it's a fail or if we're not hitting our uh, sort of minimal 30% on day one, which is basically, you know, calculations. give it just what we're wanting to meet if just funding is what we are going for. Uh, so we talk a lot about launch. Obviously, all we do is sort of leading up to launch or beyond, because obviously there are some tasks that goes even beyond just launching. It is, you know, everything that happens during the campaign, post-campaign sort of preparations and also preparing them, not just for, you know, what happens once we do launch and once we do fund, but also what happens if we don't. What is the risk that they're taking uh, in terms of like their own time spans? And uh, are they willing to do it even if it isn't going to be, you know, a major catastrophic success? Um, Because obviously I've had clients who've done that and it was, you know, funding way beyond what they were even expecting. And they just left the campaign. They were like, I can't deal with this. It's like out the door, like. You guys handle it, you know, <laughs> you, you guys seem to be okay with this. I'm not. That's just like too many people to talk to. Um, and we've had that. Um, yep. We've also had people who is looking at not being able to fund, but still wants to sit all the way through or have been way too quick at canceling their campaign. We've had those people as well, mm-hmm. obviously. And then you, you need to be like, okay, then why are we feeling this way right now? Um, what is happening? Like, what is the stress coming from? And kind of identify uh, the, exactly where the shoe is pushing because sometimes it's not the best thing to cancel straight away, even if you don't hit your 30% on the first day. Sometimes it's just because there are small adjustments that needs to be made on the campaign page or offer or you know smaller things that you can do during campaign to recover. But not mm-hmm. everyone wants to do the recovery process. Yeah. Yeah, everybody wants to have that that really nice curve where it's it it's very spike it spikes on day one and then it levels off, but it keeps going up and then it spikes at the end, and that's that's the the ideal situation. But sometimes it doesn't work uh, out as you had once hoped. There's this concept that I think in of in this scenario, which is uh, the, a firm hand on the wheel. If if you have the captain of the ship is the person that hit the launch button on Kickstarter you know, the creator of the game and the publisher, that person, if they make a knee jerk reaction and cancel really fast, then you, you, it's not a very good look, no matter what you need to outline the plan, you know, for your Mm. people that really wanted to see this thing happen. Right. And uh, so I, I love the concept of just, you know, that you shared about how you train your people for the various scenarios so that when they launch that, they're ready, no matter what, it, you know, what happens, hopefully it's a very positive result, but in all cases, they have um, a, a path forward. 
And I think that's really important to be like, yes, and stuff. <laughs> so role playing games, you know, gotta move forward. Any any blocker that you're gonna hit in your sort of crowdfunding journey and in your journey of creating a company is gonna have blockers on it. And but how do you meet those blockers on your way says a lot about you and like how long you're going to be staying in in business. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like if your blocker is just like this campaign didn't work. And and then you're like, okay, that's it. I'm done. That doesn't bode any confidence for your potential backers to back you next time if you try to relaunch the same project or another project for that matter. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, I think your reputation yeah, looking, is what you're talking about, right? Yes. So it's a super important that you just sort of stay aware. Like this is, you know, people are watching. You're going to be judged no matter what. But we want that to be, you know, a positive experience for everyone around. Yeah, um, without it feeling like scary and daunting. So, Dina, we've spoken a little bit about how your experience in tabletop role-playing games has shaped some of your strategies in terms of marketing. So, adopting certain voices to em- emulate your clients' perspectives, accommodating unexpected challenges in role-playing games. You sort of have to work as a team to kind of address unexpected challenges. Is there anything else you can think of uh, that, that you've encountered in your gaming experiences that has impacted your marketing journey? Well, I I uh, trained to be a neurolinguistic programming coach a couple of years ago, uh, NLP, for those who are familiar with the shorthand of that. Uh, and I, for me, like uh, coming from the role-playing side of things, I mean, back then everyone was doing NLP because it was considered to be like overpowered in terms of turning people into buying your stuff without actually researching as to why things were working. And, you know, they were artificially trying to create a need for a product. And I think for those who really, truly sort of adhered into the NLP, it wasn't what that was really about. It was more about, you know, finding the person and and really look in like how can what I have kind of fit naturally into your environment mm-hmm. uh, it's not about pushing it so that you want it but it's just like how can I supplement mm-hmm. like my thing supplement what you're already doing and kind that. of filling a bit of a gap preach it so <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of what I took with me from from my doing Luton NLP was that it's not about like pushing things. It's just about, you know, showcasing it, being like, this is what it is and have people kind of want to be a part of that and and see that this is what my gaming group wants. But it's all about like, how do you communicate the games and, and you know, optimizing on the way you're telling that particular stories. Mm-hmm. I think that was really important for me going into marketing. It's just knowing how to more efficiently, obviously communicate with people the thing that I have and the kind of people that that product is for without that's outright fantastic. saying this is this it does that this is what you get from it because that's super cheesy and doesn't work obviously I, yeah. uh, but we want people to experience the game as early as possible so what we often do in socials is that we let people play the game and experience the game while we're running the social so we are sharing to pieces of like making a move and how that works and trying to let them opt in of making the next move inside this ideological game that we're running over socials without it being like a play by post because that probably will be super boring but we're getting them like feeding them pieces by pieces so the ones who are staying around and actually viewing the socials will by the time we're launched actually know how to play the game 
and they never even had to open the rule book. So we've had people come back to me be like, oh, I backed that and that campaign that you ran the social for. I loved it. Uh, we opened the box and we just played because, you know, you already told us how to do it. We just understood it straight away. and It was so weird. And I'm like, this is just proof that this is, you know, this works. Mm -hmm. uh, letting the players play the game without really properly realizing that they're playing the game is such an important tool because then they're already mm -hmm. sort of, it's kind of like the thing you give someone and they're holding it and then then you take it away. They're going to want it back. It's that, but you know, it's it's different because now we're talking about games rather than yeah, you know, that's I love production. The, what you've said is uh, just, just stay, I can't wait to re-listen to this podcast for this section because I feel like um, you've said it in such a beautiful way where I feel like marketing is not, you're not trying to sell somebody something that they don't want. What you're trying to do, I think great marketing helps people find things that they love or that they will love. And all you're doing is kind of holding someone's hand and helping them understand what it is that they're looking at. And if they're interested in that, then they'll, they'll want to buy it. All they have to do is just gain enough information and then all of a sudden when they're ready, it's like, oh, I just need to really understand the combat or I really need to just see like a playthrough and you give them that yeah. thing. It, it answers all of their questions enough so that they're they're in, you know, they're going to back the the game. Or and then, yeah. So this is the yeah. rest of the task is just making sure that the information is accessible mm -hmm. in as many ways as possible that you are of the platform that those people are on, you know, like those simple things, uh, which is, you know, the cornerstones of all marketing is like presence and CEO yeah. basically. Yes, I love it. So uh, now we're, we're coming in for a landing, but before we do, how can people get in contact with you um, and where can people find more about your services? We have our own website, Nina Setsu Studio, kind of keeping it easy. Um, also, you know, we are, as a company, we're technically only on Facebook because that's where I spend the most of my time being you know, not as a voice of a client. <laughs> it's like the um, cobbler's kids have no shoes kind of thing. Right? You know, <laughs> doing all this for right. other clients. <laughs> but I also have my own, obviously as Dina said, so you'll find me on TikTok and on Instagram and Mastodon and, you know, I'm on Reddit and <laughs> all over the other places because those are platforms that I really enjoy using just for myself uh, and the places that I use to launch the, the company. So I make it really easy to find me. I'm the only person with my name in the entire world, which helps <laughs> when you're doing marketing. <laughs> yeah, on my website, we do have a, a direct booking link where people can just, you know, uh, kind of tap in to get a couple of minutes of my time uh, here and there on my calendar as I have the time free. Uh, if they just want to sit down and have a sort of introduction chat, like, who are you? Very good. Um, or they can just send me an email or reach out to me on Facebook. A lot of people do that. Uh, so, awesome. And I think it's just fun. Yeah. And uh, so thank you so much, Dina. It's been a real pleasure having you and uh, just chatting about all the things we did. As I said, I can't wait to go listen um, again. And uh, I guess we're going to have Robot Richard send us out. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.